Good morning. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. So much fun to play a little blues music, even though we're not blue. We're happy, so happy to be out here doing this. Um, I'm so thankful for the guys who are playing music with us here. The guys and the gals are awesome, amazing. Well, um, today I want to kind of talk a little bit about fairy tales. Well, not really fairy tales, just that famous line from all the fairy tales. How is it that it goes and they lived happily ever after? That's the way it's supposed to end, right? Happily ever after. That sounds nice. Put me down for some of that happily ever after. I, I like that happily ever after stuff. Um, of course, they never explain in the fairy tales how the happily ever after works. You know, we get all the stuff leading up to it. They, they don't tell us, well, how did they manage to live happily ever after? They just, well, you know, in the fairy tales, you, know, you meet the young lady in the usual way at a dance. And you dance all night and it's wonderful and you really admire her shoes. She's got some really nice shoes. Don't know why you would notice that specifically, but then the story, the guy notices his shoes specifically and he dances all night, but a time comes when she runs away. That should probably be a clue that he should kind of leave that alone, but he decides, I'm going to find this girl who has run away. And unfortunately, somehow or another, he hasn't managed to, you know, find out her name or remember very much what she looks like, but somehow he knows her shoes. So he takes the shoe and uh, he starts trying it on everybody in the kingdom. All the ladies in the kingdom try the shoe on. Thankfully, only one person in the entire kingdom has the right shoe size. So he finds Cinderella and they get married based on a couple of dances and a pair of really slick shoes. Not sure what that's about. And yet they live happily ever after. That sounds really nice. But no one ever explains how they manage to make it happily ever after. We, we hear the stuff about how they got to the wedding, the work they put in to get to the wedding, but we don't hear about the work they put in after the wedding to make happily ever after, you know, happily ever after, because it does take some work. It's often my privilege to officiate weddings, and weddings can be a lot of work, whole lot of work, a lot of moving parts. I, I realize now the trend is like this country chic wedding thing, and that's supposed to simplify things. That's really cool, except somebody's still got to hot glue all the burlap to everything, and that's a lot of burlap and a lot of hot glue, and somebody's got to find some barn wood and, and paint something quaint on. It's really nice and all, but you know, I kind of wish they'd done country chic weddings when I was getting married. That, that trend hadn't quite taken off yet. That would have been all right. But still, um, when I do the wedding... I talk to the bride and groom, and, and afterward I say, hey, now's when the real work begins. Now's when the real work begins. And most of the time they're like so happy that they, they don't necessarily kind of hear it. I'm like, hey, this is where the real work begins, because that is, it is real, where the real work begins. It's work to get a wedding going. It's a lot of work to get to that point. But it's a lot easier to get married than it is to make a marriage work for 50 or more years. And some of the folks who've been married a long time could, could probably say amen to that. It takes a lot of work to do that. Um, you know, you can even be married to an absolutely amazing human being, and it still takes a lot of work. Just ask my wife. That was a joke. That was a serious joke. Some of y'all know my wife and know 
which one of us is having to work harder to put up with the other. Um, I just want to be clear, this isn't a message about marriage. However, it can apply to marriage. It can apply to relationships. It can apply to any situation where we have the impression that once we get to this point, once the, the thing we've been looking for happens, then everything's going to be cool after that. Everything's going to fall into place. Once we find Prince or Princess Charming and get married, then it's happily ever after. Of course, it can apply to all sorts of things. Uh, it's kind of, um, well, in my head, I call it the when-then myth, all right? W-H-E-N hyphen T-H-E-N, the when-then myth. The idea that when this thing we desire happens, then everything's going to fall into place. When I get that job that I want so bad, then everything it's going to be happily ever after. When we pay off some stuff, then, man, it's going to be great. When we have some kids, when we get these kids raised and gone, when, when we graduate, when we retire, oh, then it'll be good. When, when we get in shape, whenever that's going to be, we've been saying that one for a while now. When though, but what? But when? But when we get in shape, then oh man, that's going to be it. When we get through this difficult season, when it gets to summertime, when we get past that court date that we've been looking for, when oh the big one of course is when we find the one, the one. When we find the one, then everything is going to be great. And then you find yourself saying. When the one I found starts acting a little more like happily ever after, then. You know, it's the when-then myth. It's supposed to work that way, right? It's supposed to work that way. The fairy tales say when you meet Prince Charming, you get married, and you live happily ever after. All the romantic comedies say when you chase the person down at the airport and confess your love to them, and they don't get on that plane. Why is it always a plane? I don't know. Everybody flies. Everybody got movies, got money. I, I ain't got no money. I wouldn't be flying nowhere. Anyway, then everything is supposed to work out. When the thing happens, then we can be happy. Okay. Hey, you know what? We should set some goals. That would be nice. We should have some things we're looking forward to. But if we put all of our ha happily ever after investment on something that is supposed to happen, the, the when-then myth, we're probably going to be disappointed. You see, it's supposed to be the thing happens, and then it's smooth sailing, right? But nobody ever told us that Prince Charming has got some body odor, and he snores, and he tracks mud in the house. Like every single time, why can't Prince Charming take his boots off at the door like a real human being should? But he doesn't. Nobody tells us that Cinderella will get hangry if you don't feed her on time. And she orders way too much on Amazon Prime. Nobody tells us this stuff. That's the way it's supposed to work. But the truth is that happily ever after only works if we're willing to happily work on it ever after. Today we're wrapping up a series of messages on David, the warrior king, and we've seen him go through so much. There's a lot I haven't covered. I've just tried to pick some stuff that you would know, some stuff that's kind of obscure, so you can kind of get a taste of his life. We're going to see his story 
come to an end so far as we're going to follow it today. He's been through all kinds of battles, fought all kinds of, through all kinds of struggles. And when he was about 15, the prophet Samuel came to him and told him that the day was coming when he would be the next king of Israel, anointed him as king of Israel when he was around 15, somewhere in there. But now we are way after this and it still hasn't happened. You see, Samuel didn't say when it was going to happen. It's like saying, man, I'm going to give you a million dollars. And then you don't tell them when. Okay, when, when's that going to happen? Oh, sometime, sometime or another. And you might want to specify that it's not monopoly money. You know, there's a lot of unanswered questions there. Samuel told David that he would be king, but he didn't say when that was going to happen. And a lot has gone on since then. Well, it started out pretty good for David. You know, he had a pretty peaceful life. He played some music. He, he took care of some sheep. And then he was the guy who killed a giant named Goliath. And he sort of blows up into this hero. And people write songs about him. And he becomes famous. And he becomes a commander in the army. And, and people start to follow him. And he didn't really ask for any of this. It just sort of happens. And it's all fun. And it's all cool. And all this is going on. And he's maybe 20 years old. It's, it could really go to a young man's head. But David stuck in there. And he had the right heart. And he had the right spirit. But the king who is presently on the throne was not cool with that. King Saul grew insanely jealous of David. Even though David had never been anything but loyal to Saul, he had never tried to lead a rebellion. He'd never tried to draw people away. He'd never even said a cross word about King Saul in public. Still, King Saul was desiring to, to kill David, so he chased David all over the country. And we learned last week how David finally fled to another country, enemy territory, and live for a while. Now we finally got to the story. This is, the, this is supposed to be the happily ever after part. So that's nice, right? We're finally going to get there, the happily ever after part. King Saul has died, and it, David had nothing at all to do with it. Um, it is now time for David to become king. The prophecy is supposed to come true. He's supposed to be the next king of Israel. The old king has passed away. It's supposed to be David. Now is his happily ever after moment. So let's read the story. This is in 2 Samuel 5. That's in the historical section of the Old Testament. And uh, 2 Samuel is right after 1 Samuel. Don't know if that will help you, but it's right there. So... 2 Samuel chapter 5 starts out like this. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led us out and brought, uh, led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. In, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. I want to stop there and pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do pray in this moment you'd speak to our hearts and show us that you're bigger than any happily ever after. And what you're doing in our lives won't always mean that things are easy, but it means you're in control and you love us and you're going to lead us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's kind of see what we can make of these scriptures here. 
we're told that um, the tribes of Israel came to David. All the tribes of Israel. What, what does that mean? Who are the tribes of Israel? It's something you hear all the time when you're around church, but we don't always stop to kind of explain what that is or get a refresher on it. Well, all the people of Israel trace their ancestry back to the 12 sons of a man named Jacob. Jacob was this famous hero of the Old Testament. He was the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham. And his 12 sons had lots and lots of children. Many, 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 many descendants. So many descendants from these people that they became kind of an extended family group, almost sub-nations within the larger nation. And they they eventually, when they came into the promised land, they had uh, defined borders where this tribe lived over here, this tribe lived over here. So kind of imagine it as states within a country with the borders, but each state is populated by a really extended family group that kind of traced their ancestry back to a, to a certain son of Jacob. So you have these 12 tribes of Israel living in their certain areas. Now someone's going to ask the question, Okay, these people were all related and they were all living in the same area. Did they marry their cousins? Fair question. And the answer is, they were very distant cousins. And sometimes they uh, married people from, from other tribes, so they were very, very distant cousins. Okay. Hey, y'all, my family has been in this area for 250 years, so I am related to just about everybody here who's from here. That's why I married a girl from New Jersey. Pour a little chlorine in the gene pool, if you know what I mean, you know. Married some outside, you know, just got to think about I'm related to, like, everybody else. Kind of afraid to find out, you know. So... Back to the real story. Okay, okay, okay. That's what the tribes were. They were these extended family groups living in sections of Israel, kind of like states within a larger country. And this story of David takes place hundreds of years after, maybe as much as seven or even 800 years after the tribes were first established, and yet people are still living more or less within their tribal area and uh, have their tribal identity. So when the tribes of Israel are coming to David to ask him to be king, it's sort of like, imagine the leaders leadership from each state coming to someone and selecting them as president. And that's not so awful far from the elective system of a lot of countries. You know, we have these regional people who are selecting someone to be the national leader. So they are coming to David and selecting him to be the next king. They want him to be the next king. And that's got to be nice because This was prophesied a long time ago that David would be king, and he had some points where it looked like it was never going to happen, and they're finally coming to him and saying, David, we want you to be king. We're ready for you to be king. Would you please come and be our king, David? And they actually give some reasons here. They give three reasons. One of them is that he is part of the nation of Israel. He is an ethnic Israelite. He said, "You're, you're the same flesh and bone as us. So we'd rather have you ruling. They're like, say, okay, we'd rather have one of our own people ruling than, than someone who's coming from the outside. All right, that's, that's pretty normal in the ancient world. They, the second one they said was because he was the one who led, 
led Israel out and brought them back in under the days of Saul. This is talking about his military ability. He was a military commander. That's pretty standard because in the ancient world, anyone who was going to be a king had to have some military ability because he would be expected to, to lead the nation into battle. The third requirement is the only one that really is different or special. It's because God had chosen him. He said, God has spoken to you. This is what they said to David. God has spoken to you that you should be the, the shepherd of Israel, the, the king of Israel, the ruler over Israel. So they came to David in the city of David, a city of Hebron, and they made him king. Finally, finally, it's happened. The thing he's dreamed of when he was 15. When he was young, he was a songwriter. He probably wrote a song, I just can't wait to be king. Wait, that was another, that was, that was from something else. No, but they might have plagiarized it from David. I don't know. It's, it's finally happened. The happily ever after is here, it seems. And he must have dreamed about this. Hey, when I'm king, when I am king, then things will be so much better. And now it's arrived. No denying. It was achieve, achievement of a big, big goal. Maybe some of you know what it's like to chase a goal for years and years and finally reach it. It's a good feeling. It's a nice feeling. And, and things went pretty well for him. And... I just got to say, there's a lesson here about holding on to your faith and holding on to hope, even when it seems impossible. If God gives you a dream, don't quit on that dream. Not if it's a God-given dream. Don't quit on that dream. David didn't quit on his dream, even though it took a good 15 years and more to get there. Even when it seems impossible, if the Lord has given you a dream, don't give up on the dream. And David demonstrated the right way to get there. He didn't step on people in his climb up to the top. He refused to compromise his values. He literally had the opportunity to stab Saul in the back twice and take the kingdom, but he refused to do it. He didn't want to do it the wrong way. That's a lesson to us, not to take shortcuts, but to trust God and to trust the process and do the right thing Keep on keeping on, keep on grinding, keep on pounding, trust the Lord, do the right thing, and watch what God can do. He proves that in the story of David. Overall, his reign was very positive for the most part. He was a good king, and, and even to this day, the reign of King David is looked back on as kind of a, a golden age for ancient Israel. Lots, lots of good things come from reaching goals, so we can admire David for reaching his goals. That's a good, good thing. And this sounds a lot like happily ever after, right? Happily ever after. He became king and they all lived happily ever after. Well, that sounds good, but that's not really what happened. If only it was that simple, but it's never that simple. You could look at the person sitting with you and say, it's never that simple. Happily ever after would be nice, but it's never that simple. Huh. We see this even in this short passage. In, in verse 4, we're told that David was about 30 when he became king. Okay? King over Judah, though. He was king about 40 years. He became king over Judah when he was 30. But he didn't become king over all Israel until later. You see... His own tribe, the tribe of Judah, his own people, they accepted him as king at that time. But it took seven more years, seven and a half more years, for the rest 
of Israel to accept him as king. Even after Judah made him king, he still had to fight battles. He still had people wanting to kill him. Even though he'd reached the happily ever after, he had reached the throne, not everybody was happy about his happily ever after. And he was much closer to 40 when he became king of all Israel. He still had a lot more battles to go. He was more than twice as old as he was when the promise was first made. And now he's stepping into a big responsibility. He's, he's been a military commander. He's been kind of a guerrilla leader of a, of a group, but now he's got to actually govern. He's got to actually lead a nation. And, and we know in American history that running for office and getting elected is not the same as effectively governing. I'm going to leave that right there. Because we elect a lot of people, and we hope they'll do a good job, but then we usually complain about the job they do. So David actually has to run the country now. He can't just say, oh, when I'm king, things are going to be better. He has to actually prove it. And he's going to continue to face battles, and some of them he would lose. And some of the worst battles he loses aren't going to be ones he loses to an enemy army. It's going to be him losing to his temptation and to his pride, and it makes a terrible mess. David has a bunch of kids, and his kids don't always get along. I know that your kids don't get along either sometimes, but you know, as much as you might say, I'm, these kids are going to kill one another. Well, that really happened in David's family. At least one of his sons killed another one of his sons, and it was a mess. And then, then the same son who killed the other son kind of worked his way back into the family, and then he wanted to kill David and take over the kingdom. So he had some issues. He had some problems still to that very day. And I know it's supposed to be happily ever after, but he didn't get happily ever after in the sense that nothing ever went wrong anymore. Nevertheless, he was still pretty happy. He still had a lot of happiness, even though he didn't have the fairy tale ending. Every moment of his life was not easy. Every day of his life was not happy. But on the whole, it was a life well lived. It was a good life. You see, that's a lot better goal, y'all. It's a lot better goal. If you're looking for happily ever after where nothing bad ever happens again, how you doing, man? Glad to see you. Happily ever after where nothing ever happens again, man, that's, that's not a real thing. That's not a real thing. However, if you want a good life, a life well lived, a life where you share love, where you make a positive difference, yes, that's a real thing. You can have that. Now, somebody's going to say, because we... We're a culture that watches romantic movies and romantic comedies. And you're going to say, wait a minute, preacher. All the movies tell us we're supposed to find the one, the one. And then we marry them. And then happily ever after, that person will make me happy forever. You know, let me ask you this. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. That makes for a good movie and everything. But just to clarify, you're telling me you're expecting a human being to fulfill your every need forever and always, always make you happy and never do anything to make you unhappy. That's what you're saying, right? Is that fair? Can you do that for them? Man, you can't do that for them. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Love between human beings is a wonderful, amazing thing. And God created it, and it is good and holy and right. When, it, when it's right with God, man, it's right and it's good. But... 
Human beings were not made to fulfill our every need for everything. God is the one. God is the one. If you're looking for the one, God is ultimately the one. It's not fair to expect the romantic interest in your life or your kids or a friend or some human being in your life to fulfill every need that you have. They can't do what God can do. God is the one who meets our needs ultimately. So as much as we ought to love the people we have in our life and treasure them, we can't expect them to take the place of God. And even God does not promise an easy, trouble-free life. Debbie and I were talking about that this morning, that just because you've got God on your side does not mean that everything's going to be easy and perfect and right forever. There's still going to be some struggles. We live in a broken world. So that means the brokenness of the world will sometimes touch us. And we're going to get touched with brokenness. And it's going to hurt. Sometimes the trouble we experience will be the result of our own bad choices. Let me own it right now. I've done some stupid things. And when you do stupid things, stupid things happen to you. Can I get a witness? Anybody else? Yes. Do stupid things, stupid things happen to you. But not every bad thing happens because you've done something bad. Sometimes life on earth is tough because life on earth is tough. We live on a world that is cursed by sin. Someday God's going to straighten it out, but until then we're going to have some trouble. And someone's going to say, well, wait a minute. If, uh, well, let's just ask this. Wait a minute. What if I'm a, what if I'm a super good Christian? What if I'm a super, super good Christian and I do everything right and I keep all the rules, preacher? Then everything's going to be okay. What, wait a minute. What if I'm one of them professional Christians like you, preacher? Then nothing ever bad will happen, right? Okay. Let's, uh, let's talk about that. Okay. I cannot speak from experience about keeping all the rules because I have never managed to keep all the rules. I've messed up plenty. I've got all kinds of regrets. I was saved pretty young, so most of the stupid stuff I've done in my life, I've done after I was knew Jesus and should have known better, and I got a lot of regrets. So I can't, I can't tell you what it's like, what would happen if you lived a perfect, sinless life. But the thing is, no one's ever lived a perfect, sinless life except for Jesus, and his life wasn't easy. They crucified him. So if you're hoping that keeping all the rules is going to keep you from ever struggling, it doesn't work that way. Now, I can speak to what it's like to be a, quote, professional Christian. Because for half my life, I've kind of sort of been a, quote, professional. In the sense that I've been in some kind of leadership capacity in spiritual things. And let me just say to you that that has not necessarily made my life easy. Some of y'all know the story of my family and, and my wife's health history and a lot of stuff that we've been through. Uh, sometimes in a church environment, it's been kind of painful. I don't think God promised us that if we just do the right things and check all the right boxes, that nothing bad is ever going to happen. He doesn't say that. So someone's going to argue and be like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're telling me that if I play by God's rules, that doesn't mean everything's going to be fine. If, if I have God in my life, it doesn't, it, it doesn't mean I'm not going to have any trouble. Well, why, what's the point? What's the point of trying to live for God if I'm still going to have problems? Okay, let's just have a reality check. Are you ready for a reality check? Okay, here's a reality check. You're going to have problems whether you got God in your life or not. The choice is, 
Do you want God in your life to help you through your problems, or do you want to go through them alone? That's a choice. It's not a choice of problems or not. It's a choice of having God with you or not. And man, if I'm going to go through troubles and struggles and tribulations, I want God on my side. I want him with me to help me through them and make them stronger. Let me tell you, God did not spare David from trouble. But God used the trouble in David's life to grow him into an incredible person that we're still talking about 3,000 years later. His life had influence, impact. He was a difference maker. Now, if you want an easy life, I can't help you with that. But if you want a life that makes a difference, where your kids and your grandkids and generations that come after you can still feel the impact of the life that you lived because it was so meaningful and so difference-making, if you want that, God offers that. You can have a life that makes a difference you can have a life like David where there's lots of ups and downs, but he found a baseline of peace through the ups and downs. Even the worst things that happened to David, even though he got upset, he always found a way to kind of come back to God and be okay and go through it and have peace. So when the end of his life came, even with all the ups and all the downs, he was able to have some peace and able to have some fulfillment. So, all right, here it is. I'm about to tell you what might be the most important thing you've heard so far today. Maybe. I don't know what you've been doing today. But this is important. Catch this. Happily ever after is not a destination. It is a journey. Happily ever after isn't a place you get to and stop. It's a path. It's a way of life a way and that's important most people don't know this but the early followers of jesus did not call themselves christians the name christian was not invented for several more decades after the resurrection and it wasn't even invented by jesus people it was made up by people who were trying to insult jesus people but jesus people like yeah okay i'll take that christian we like the sound of that but before they were called christians they called themselves the followers of the way. If you read in the early part of the book of Acts, you won't find the word Christian up until well into it. But you'll see followers of the way. The way. The way. That is important. The way. The way is, is a road or a path or a journey. Life isn't about just arriving at a goal. Then everything is supposed to fall into place. It's making progress. I would love to tell you that if you trust in Jesus today, you'll never have any more problems and everything will be okay. That's not true. If you trust in Jesus, now you've got Jesus on your team to help you through your problems. And you're going to be okay even though everything around you is not necessarily going to be okay. That is true. See, instead of uh, setting goals as destinations, we can set them as landmarks. So yeah, you should set a goal of, you know, paying this stuff off. You should set a goal of, of, you know, getting healthy or whatever it is. But let's not tell ourselves, hey, when this happens, then we'll be happily ever after. And then everything's going to fall into place. No, these are landmarks along a larger path. Instead of seeking to arrive, seek to make progress. I instead of looking for everything to work out once you've made it this far, just look at how far you've made it. 
That's a big deal. I, I want all of us to be able to look back and say, well, you know, man, I, maybe I haven't got where I'm going yet. I haven't arrived yet, but it's not like it was. Can you look back a year ago and say, you know what? I think God has done some work in my life since last year. I feel a little closer to God, or, or maybe I've dealt with some stuff. God has helped me work through some stuff. Or we might look back and say, you know, I think I've slipped a little bit from this time last year, and I need to get back on that. See, what we need to look for is progress, all right? Catch this. We don't need to worry so much about arriving as we do becoming and progressing and becoming the people God made us to be, made us to be. Life isn't about when it's about the way. And Jesus explained to his followers that he wasn't just the one pointing out the way. Jesus is the way. He is the way. So get this, folks. We don't just follow the teaching of Jesus. We follow Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to God except through him. He's the way. We need to be following Jesus, and Jesus wants something more for you than, uh, than a life that doesn't have any problems, than, than just a happily ever after. Don't settle for happily ever after on earth. He wants to give us a new life, a new perspective, a new lens for viewing the world, a new heart for people, a new wisdom for living. See, with him, there is a happily ever after, after this life. There's heaven waiting on us. And you know what? I got some folks up in heaven waiting on me to get there. And it's going to be happily ever after when I get reunited with those folks. I, I look forward to seeing those folks, some people I love. And at some point in my life, there may be more people on earth, more people in heaven that I'm waiting to see than on earth if the Lord allows me to live long enough. But so the wisest thing you and I can do is not get caught up in the fairy tale, romantic comedy idea of happily ever after, after we do this one thing, after we meet the one, after we make this accomplishment. But instead, trust Jesus every day of the journey. Trust Him every day. Progress and grow. I want to pray for us now, and then I, I got one or two things to say before I turn you loose. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you're offering us something more real and more substantial than any fairy tale or movie can. Not the empty promise of happily ever after, but the truth of a life of meaning and peace and a life that makes a difference. Lord, help us to be people who trust you for the journey every day. And we know happily ever after is waiting on us in heaven. So I want to pray for and with everybody here who maybe has not trusted in Jesus that they might do so now. Lord, I pray they would just call out to you right now and ask for forgiveness and hope and peace and new life in Jesus. Lord, we believe that Jesus is your son and that he came and lived a sinless life. He died and rose again. So if we trust in him, we can have everlasting life too. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I wish I could give you happily ever after, but man, we got something so much better, a life of meaning and then happily ever after in heaven. Now, before we wrap up, I want to say some, several folks have asked us, you know, what can we do for the Stoneman family? And uh, they're going to have all kinds of medical bills. And uh, we've been 
talking, and I think we will take up a love offering next week, so be prepared for that. Uh, what I may do is, is you know, just whatever we collect next week, we'll make a love offering to them. That may just make it simple so you don't necessarily have to mark anything any certain way. So just be aware, if you're dropping an offering in the box next week, it's going to be part of a love offering, okay? And if you're giving for, for something else, you know, hold on to that, and we'll take care of that some other time, all right? God bless you all. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Heads up to our evening service is 6 p.m., okay? 6 p.m., and uh, it's the same content as the morning service, same message, same music. And uh, if you liked what you hear on the Sunday morning service, you can always bring somebody back in the Sunday evening service. But God bless you guys, and I'll send you off with a little bit of music. So happy to have you as a part of Recreate Church.